You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Most people go into the performing arts because it's fun and creative. Maybe they saw a production or heard a particular song that inspired them to want to be a part of it all. And it's only after we start performing and building our creative muscles that we realize how difficult and challenging this career can be. But today's guest was already facing a challenge as a young child. And it was actually theater that helped him confront that challenge and ultimately overcome it. I felt like what I had to say wasn't important. I felt like people wanted me to stop talking. You know, like all these thoughts that are in your head that causes your breath to tighten. I was like, can't really breathe. There's no airflow. And so it was like a revelation. I'm like, these are the things I'm going through. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short. One of Feedspot's top 15 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and each week I explore the realities of a career in the performing arts with fellow creatives, challenging the notion of what it really means to make it in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter, as well as show your support for this podcast by donating and getting access to bonus content only available to supporters. All that and more can be found at whyillnevermakeit.com. Communication and interacting with each other through words is really at the heart of what it means to connect and relate to other people. This is even more clear as actors and writers and the way that we tell stories and share experiences. Clear and understandable communication is a vital part of the performing arts. And we do this through dance, visual media, physical gestures, but most importantly, through language. For Damien Thompson, this of course has been an essential part of his career, from Shakespeare productions like Macbeth and King Lear, to contemporary plays like Angels in America and Little Rock. He even wrote and starred in his own short film called Black but it hasn't always been easy for him to communicate verbally, especially in auditions and cold readings. As a young child, he suffered from a speech disorder that affects approximately 3 million American speakers, and that is stuttering. Now, it usually starts at a young age, and approximately 5 to 10% of all children will stutter for some period of their young life. 
and boys are two to three times more likely to stutter than girls. Stuttering has come under the spotlight even more recently due to the election of Joe Biden as president. Here he is talking with Axios about his own struggle with stuttering as a boy. What I remember about my stutter was how debilitating it was and how humiliating it was. But I I remember stuttering when I had to speak publicly, when I had to stand up and read. And it was mortifying. Um, and But it turned out, and I mean this sincerely, maybe the best thing ever happened to me. Because it gave me an insight that uh, I don't know that it would ever had before, that everybody has something, something that is not something they're able to overcome just by, just by saying, I'm not going to do that. And so in today's conversation, we talk about things that Damien has had to overcome. We even get into the importance of not only diverse, but accurate representation within the arts. But we start off with Damien coming to America from Jamaica and sharing how his stuttering and Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech eventually led him into theater, with a little help from Dawson's Creek. Well, Mr. Damien Thompson, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Yes, it has. Thanks for inviting me, man. (laughs) Oh, man. I am so glad to talk to you. Now, you moved with your family from Jamaica to Florida, and, and at the time, I guess it was thought that you needed to not have your Jamaican accent? What what exactly went into your speech classes that you started? Yeah, well, um, after moving to Miami, because people from Miami say Miami and not Florida. Um, <laughs> because Florida can mean many things. <laughs> many things. Um, no, it's um, when you move to this country, if you are of a certain age, um, they'll put you in a speech class, um, like if you have an accent. So my brother, who I think was four or five years older than me, wasn't put into a speech class because he was, I think, like 14. So it it had set, you know, his way of speaking has kind of set in. Hmm. Um, I moved when I was nine. So they thought that, you know, that he there's still a time for him to change his, his speech. So I was put into a um, speech class. Um, basically, I'd be pulled out of school and just, you know, put into this thing for like an hour each day. And I mean, the experience was interesting because it was a bit uh, abrasive, especially for a child at that age. Um, You know, like everything about our identity is about how we speak. And when that's being challenged, it's kind of a, you know, first you're in a new country, you're in a new school, you have, you know, no friends, like everyone is new. And then your identity is being challenged or changed or altered. Hmm. So I, you know, I started to stutter um, because they had this weird game where it's like you had to go around and say a sentence without stuttering or without having an accent. And if you did, you would get a goldfish, like those little crackers, you'd get one. So nine-year-old Damien was just like, oh my God, I just want a cracker. I just want a cracker. You know, like, you know, kids like uh, treats. And just looking back now, I remember like the first time I went into a supermarket and saw that they sold them in like these big things. I was like, oh my God, there's like all these goldfishes. Like, I don't need that. I don't need that class. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I started to stutter just from the kind of anxiety and nerves that, you know, was going and it got pretty bad. Like, it was like, my name is D- Damien and I, I, I'm like every other word. Oh, wow. Um, and now, then in this class, because it's in Miami, obviously that, that's a heavy Cuban population as well. Were you in a mix with other uh, yeah. ethnicities as well? Yeah. Like people from, um, you know, all the Spanish speaking countries. Um, there was uh, people of South Asian descent there. There was Haitians there. There was, you know, just like basically anyone where the language was different and you migrated, um, that, you know, that would be the class that they would put you in. Kind of like it's English for um, non-English speakers or, or something. I can't remember the exact the exact name, but yeah. yeah. And, and, and this so, was something that, that the school itself, the, the public school offered? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, this went on. And then in the middle school, you know, well into my stuttering, um, I kind of like muscled my way through the class and was like, hey, I'm good. I can get out of class by speaking very slow. So then I didn't have to take um, classes, but it was still something that just traumatized me. And so like it became a part of my life, you know, like to stutter. And I took this uh, year that they had kind of a, an exploratory wheel is what they called it, where you had six weeks of um, computers, you had six weeks of dance, you had six weeks of theater, and you had six weeks of music. And in the six weeks of um, theater, one of the things that we had to do was we had to recite a Martin Luther King speech. And so I did the whole, I have a dream speech and when I finished, my theater teacher turned to me and was like, oh my God, you said that entire thing and you didn't stutter once. And I was like, oh, and she's like, yeah. She's like, I'd like you to audition for the magnet program here, um, the performing arts program, because I think it would be good for you and I think it would help. And so I went ahead and I auditioned. Um, I ended up getting in. Um, and then it just, you know, kind of trickled from then, then on. I went to a performing arts high school, then went to the University of Evansville, um, got a bachelor's of fine arts there, and then went on to the University of Delaware for graduate school. Got a master's. Before this Martin Luther King speech, was theater ever a thought like, oh, I wanna be a performer when I grow up? No, um, no. to be honest, I was was very into the visual arts. Um, you know, I, I guess it was a non-speaking thing. So I create, I, my creation came through like, um, abstract art. Um, and that's where I thought my focus was going to be that or on math, because I was also very good with like numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I mean, I did always have a performance quality because as a kid, you know, my parents would always like at every party, I'd be the one they put up on the mock stage and, you know, put the Michael Jackson music on and I'd be having on my, <laughs> my th- thriller jacket and dancing and doing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I had this really weird thing where I would watch TV shows and then in the morning on the school bus, I would like act out the, sh- the shows for all my friends and they would just like wait for it like every morning and I would play all the characters, you know, it's like, okay, well, this episode, like Dawson was, 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 was like, Joey, Dawson's I really love you. I know. I really love you. I love you too. 
doesn't, but I don't think that we can. And I, and I would like literally be acting out the entire thing. They'd oh be gosh. like, oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> so like I was a performer before I was a performer, right? Right, right. So without even the the, the verbiage or, you know, that, that knowledge of, of what it meant to be an actor, you were already doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then as I, as I, as I got into it more, I, you know, I, I started to think of why I was doing it, like why I'm continuing it. Right. I know how I started, but what motivated me to continue? And for me, it was growing up in Jamaica, I would be what Americans would consider poor, right. Quote unquote poor. Um, But my life didn't seem poor, you know, like we went on vacations on the island. Um, you know, I never wanted food. I never wanted, you know, shelter. Like I, I had all the basics and I was like the, um, the television was something that I would turn to each day. Um, I would like run home to watch re reruns of MacGyver or Dallas or Dynasty, you know, and I would just, oh my God, it's so cool. And I would just kind of get lost in this world, right? Mm-hmm. So like I didn't, as a child, I didn't realize my state of being, right? Well, yeah, because Jamaica just has a different standard of living than the yeah. US. And so you can live quite comfortably. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. 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 Having been to Jamaica several times, it's such a beautiful country. But yes, I guess in, in comparison, there are there are poorer sections, but it's still a beautiful country. And in all the people that I met there, there is just there's a warmth. There's a welcoming that I yeah. noticed from from most of the people that I came in contact with. Yeah. And a lot, you know, I tell people all the time growing up in Jamaica and being poor me- meant that I ate organically. <laughs> because like no seriously because like you my food real thing. yeah like my food was like grown you know like your parents would grow the, the food my dad raised cows and goats so I had like fresh mutton and fresh beef fresh milk my uncle raised chickens so I would have fresh chicken fresh eggs like you know like the the yard had like things fruit and vegetables and yams being grown so like coming here and being poor is very different coming here and being poor you're eating very bad right you're eating like yeah (laughs) yeah so like i I would come and be like guys i can't do this my stomach hurts and people be like um what you're so bougie and i was like no i grew up poor in jamaica (laughs) (laughs) i'm used to the good stuff i'm sorry (laughs) right right but believe me that's something that i wish we could learn here in america that that the organic the real food was the baseline and then if you wanted yeah. to buy on top of that and have other things then you know then then spend the money on that but yeah somewhere along the line it switched right yeah and so it's it's interesting that theater really helped you communicate and because i assume that through the theater program the stuttering started to go away or became yeah. more manageable yeah 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 um i i mean it was a battle all the way up until um graduate school and the final licking of it, because I, you know, I, I was pretty good in high school. I got pretty good in college, but cold reading was a little bit, you know, hard here and here and there. And then in graduate school, my professor, the head of the program, Sanford Robbins, asked me, um, he's like, make a journal of every time you stutter and write down what you were thinking before, what you were thinking during, you know, where were you, who were the people around you? And then he you know, dedicated some extra time 
to me. And I would see him once a week, once every other week. And we would sit and just talk about the observations. And it was basically, I felt like what I had to say wasn't important. I felt like people wanted me to stop talking. You know, like all these thoughts that are in your head that causes your breath to like tighten. I was like, my stomach gets tight. I can't really breathe. There's no airflow. Um, And so it was like, it was a very like opening, you know, like, um, how do you say, like a revelation on like, oh, wow, these are the things I'm I'm going through. Um, And then he said, try to recreate it in a conversation with your friends. So like make yourself stutter. And so I did it, you know, I'd be talking like how I'm talking now, and then I would just stutter and continue going on. And the minute that I was able to do it was when I got ownership. You know, was was when I knew that like I can do it, so I can also choose not to. And also, I saw that my friends didn't. It didn't really matter, right? They would just wait until I was finished, right? Until I was ready to move to move on. My high school drama teacher told me she's she's like, even when you stuttered like all the time, you did not stop talking. You would you would push through <laughs> to get that point across. And I was like, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. You know, I'm reminded of that that 13 year old Braden who did the the video for Joe Biden at the mm. Democratic National Convention. Did did that bring back any memories of your childhood and stuttering or, or make you think something? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like as a, as a kid going through, you know, those kind of moments, um, it kind of took me back to my senior year of high school. I won this award called the Southeastern Theater Conference. Um, Polly Holiday Award, which was um, based on the actress Polly Holiday, mm-hmm. um, and I won it out of all the, the the southeastern states, right? So my entire school came up with me to support port me. Well, my entire drama program of my school, and I had to give a speech. Actually, I didn't know I didn't I didn't have to, but I thought I I had to, so I had a speech prepared, and then. When she presented me the award, you know, she's like, oh, and thank you. And I was like, oh, no, I have a speech. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Damien has something to say. Sorry, I have a speech. And like, I remember like being up there and just the nerves and everything, you know, and like, and I just kind of like, I, I stood up there and I, you know, thanked her and I thanked all these people and I thanked my parents. And it's like, and even though I was stuttering, I, you know, I was pushing through. And for me, it was always merging the difference between acting on stage and public speaking. Because when you're public speaking, people think, oh, you're an actor. You should be easy at this. But it, it wasn't. They really it's, are it's two like, different things. Yeah, because right? yeah. you're like naked. You're like, there's no character to hide behind, no circumstance, you know, no like story. It's like, this is me. This is the raw me. And it can be very scary. Well, you also know the end line. You know where your character's going, the journey. Yeah. You know the end and then curtain. Whereas and you've studied the lines speech, before. Yeah, in, in a public speaking, you you know where you're going to go, especially if you've written it out, but you don't know the reaction. You don't know what's going to happen the day of. You, there's not as much preparation. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a much different thing. Very true. Very true. When I when I was in um, undergrad at Evansville, um, I was working on not stuttering during cold reading. And so one of the things I, I did was I took a class one semester and it was an um, oratorical class where you just had to read. And 
I I told the teacher, I said, hey, I'm taking this class because like I have a stuttering issue and I need to like conquer it. So it's three times a week was a um, was when the class met and it was like an hour and 15 to an hour and 20 minutes. And each time you would go up and have to read in front of the class. And so I told him, I said, hey, I know that there are times when we're supposed to prep and like, you know, work on it before and then come and present it to the class. But I'm not going to do it because my brain is very good and I've mastered the art of like memorizing something just by looking at it because I've had to. Right. Um, And so I said, I'm not going to do that because I really want to challenge myself on the experience of like cold reading in front of people. And Patrick, I tell you, it was like going through the gauntlet. I mean, the first day I went up, like, it was so bad. This girl, I came down and this girl in the class who didn't even know me just like hugged me. And she was like, oh my God, (laughs) you are so brave. Because she said, as you spoke, I saw the redness rise from your shoulders through your neck into your face. Like she saw the literally blood rushing to my face. And then as the class went on, it got better. Like throughout the semester, it got better. But from where it started, it was murder. But it, it, you know, I'm glad that I did it because by the end I had came out triumphant. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, to, to, it's interesting that you, you recognize the problem and you didn't run from it. I think that's something that in our own personal lives that we all have, whatever the issue is, it's something that we have to first recognize and then want to change it and then do something about it. And yeah. it seems like that, you know, certainly your just your personality and knowing you the last, you know, many years that I've known you, 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 you don't stop talking. So that is true. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're also someone who is is very forthright and can be blunt at times, but all you you know where you stand with you. And that yeah. that's always been something that I've appreciated. And so I think that that uh, firmness in who you are, that deliberateness that you have is probably something that you just grew up with and <laughs> is how you uh, were, were able to co- overcome that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Had to be a way of life, right? Right, right. And I, I would imagine that that fortitude that that type of uh, of experience of just kind of jumping into the deep end so to speak is what's made you uh as successful as an actor or at least as wide ranging because you because you do a lot of different types of styles you do different characters from contemporary plays to shakespeare as well as stage work to television and film is one more home to you than the others um i mean i, I always feel at home on stage you know, like, um, and I, I, I love period work. I love classical work. Um, it, um, I don't know. I, like I, I tell people the very first role that I ever played was, um, in the musical Oliver was Mr. Brownlow, you know, Mr. Brownlow, Oliver's very rich, very classy uncle. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. so it set, it set a standard for the things that I, you know, looked the, the, the roles that I seek to play as I grew older. 
I bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely did set one. And it's, it's interesting because earlier in the season, I had uh, another actor, Brie Ely, on, and she was trained, a uh, classical training, uh, mm-hmm. probably similar to what you had. And she found her home in television, and mm-hmm. which you've certainly done television and film. What do you think is it about the classical training that can translate so well into TV and film? <laughs> It's funny because like this, I'm so I'm in Toronto at the moment working on a film and the director, you know, we had a meeting prior and he joked with me and he's like, I see that you've done a lot of Shakespeare. You you must hate our script, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a movie that has heart. And I was like, no, I was like, this movie is good and it touches people, you know? And it's like, I, I think when you've done the classics, you start to appreciate, um, words and, rhetoric in a very different way, right? Um, You start to see arguments on the page in a very different way. And for me, especially coming from that whole stuttering thing, it's like I find such security in words. And so I think on film and and TV, like there's this way that you can just relax into it, right? Like Like it's almost like you're not performing, but you are, your body is more relaxed. You can just let the words do more of the work. Where on stage, it's like, it's it's very much about the words as, as well, but you also have to make the body as big as the words just to get to the audience, right? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to, to look at it. Yeah, there is that simplicity. And certainly this is something I've gradually learned as I've auditioned for both. There is that simplicity that you have to rely upon when you're in front of a camera because the slightest movement, the slightest eyebrow, whatever it is, can be massive when you're, <laughs> when the, yeah. it's just you on that screen. And in finding your voice, both literally and figuratively, did, did the body come with it? Like as you, as you began to conquer and navigate your way through the stuttering, did your body also become easier because I mentioned in stuttering, you're very, it gets very tense. Yeah. So, I mean, I also come from a very um, strong dance background also. Like I took a lot of ballet growing up. And the one thing is to conquer the stuttering, I had to realize how my body was when I wasn't stuttering. And the way that my body was, was relaxed. Like it was kind of grounded. I was centered even when I was angry, right? If I'm angry or excited, I can still be that way, but still have that peace in my, the middle of my body that's just centered, right? And that's how I overcame it. That was one of the major things was just when I'm on stage, what is it that makes me not stutter? And I started to notice how is my body when I'm not stuttering? And I'm like, got it. And then, you know, and so just kind of recreate that feeling, you know, like, yeah, weirdly enough, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it really is a, a full body thing. I, I certainly know for myself when I'm on stage that, you know, I certainly enjoy the table reads. I enjoy kind of digging into the character. But once you're finally on your feet, once you can start to inhabit the space, that's when literally the character starts to come to life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, a theme of this podcast for this season has has been actors creating their own work and, and, you know, not waiting for auditions or producers to figure out how great we are. And so you wrote and starred in your own short film called Black, 
question yeah, mark. Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> right. What led you to make that film? Um, so tying back to the speaking. Um, so after taking all these speech classes and going to graduate school and taking more speech classes, um, as you can see, this is how I speak now, right? Like I don't minotalk like this, right? Which is how we can talk before, but I'm speaking like this. And so I would go into auditions and I would get the note, hey, can you be more like you? Or hey, can you can you talk more more like you? Can you be more like you? Can you and you know, and this is like people that don't know me. <laughs> and I think back now and I'm like, I should have just been, you know, like, sure, mom, you talk just like this and all. Because they would be like shocked because they're expecting a different quote unquote me, right? Right. Um, their way of saying urban, like you can you be more urban is what they were trying to trying to say. Um, so this kept happening, and I just I kept thinking that I was like acting or that I was putting something on, you know, like now I've I mean, I've been in the game long enough to know when something like that comes, it's like it's not me. But in the beginning, you, you know, you self-doubt, like maybe I'm acting, maybe I'm putting something on, I'm not aware of. And it wasn't until a friend of mine was a reader. And in the audition, the director kept telling me, you know, you're sounding British. You're sounding British, like British. Does yeah, I I, really. I might sound proper, but not British. Like, and so um I, you know, he kept telling me to do it more like me and blah, 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 blah. And then you know, I did the best I could. And then I left the room. And then when I got home, my friend called me and was like, yeah, like that was a very interesting, interesting experience because after you left the room, he was like, yeah, he's putting on this like air of like, you know, properness or something like that. And he was like, that's him. Like, that's not an air. That's just how he talks. Like that's, you know, like I've known him for years. He talks like that. Right. And so I, you know, as actors, we bitch a lot, you know, we complain. Um, and so I thought instead of going and complaining to other actors and complaining and talking about it, I can write something that would like get the message out and like, you know, kind of like shake people and be like, hey, this is what's happening and this is what it's not. And so I sat down one one night and I wrote it in like 15 minutes um, and then I gave it to a friend to look over. There was a, a scene where there was a casting person and she was like, I think there should be two casting people. And I was like, why? And she goes, because then I can be in it. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all oh, right, but no, but she, it made sense because like having two, you had someone to play off of, Like the scene was just, right. you know, a, a lot better. And what was interesting, I keep telling people that it wasn't the casting people, even in the casting, um, in, in my movie they weren't white right they, they were of latin descent um because this isn't an issue of like black and white it's not an issue of black versus white it's an issue of how we interpret how people of color should speak and a lot of it is what we see on tv what we hear on the radio what we see in movies and so it a lot of, you know, people in America, their only exposure to certain culture is through the arts. True. So that's why I'm very passionate about what we put on these screens. And it doesn't mean that you can't show, you know, a certain side of a certain culture, but that's not the only side. And we have to make sure that we try to be diverse within the diverseness that we're showing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, not to bleed into too political of a conversation, but for me that I'm, I'm very staunchly centrist and moderate 
and I try to see both sides. I try to maybe even a third or fourth side. I try to know that one picture, one statement isn't the full story. You know, one person who represents a certain whatever race, ethnicity, community isn't the spokesman for that community. You know, and as you said, there are many varying degrees of what it means to be black, Latino, white. There are all these varying degrees. I'm from the South. So that comes with its own stereotype as well. So there's all yeah. these things that we carry with us from where we're from to how we look. And it is, it's so true that this, the arts and it's, it's another reason why, why it's so important to get it right and to, to keep the arts alive is that that is how people can see other people and, and understand them. Because yeah. you're right, there's sometimes they're not going to know anyone else or see anyone else like that until they see it in a movie or on stage. Yeah, I was telling someone that I um, like two quick quick things on it. One was I was um, doing a conservatory in high school in Montana, and I was staying with a family, and they had a young boy that was like two years old, and the babysitter was over, and I was coming down the stairs just in time. They were watching a TV show, and there was this thug character on, and the little kid turned to the babysitter and was like, "Clementine, is that how Damien is?" And then she was like, well, you've, you've been with him for three weeks now. Does he, does he act like that? And he goes, no. And he goes, then he is not like that. And it was just, for me, it was like, it's something that stuck in my head. It's like, like if she wasn't educated enough and mature enough to explain it in that way, it would have just been, oh no, that's not him. And it, and it moves on. But letting him know, no, you've experienced him, like based it on the people that you've experienced, not on what you're seeing on TV, right? And that's so crazy. That's so young. They're already picking yeah. up on the images yeah. they see. And that being said, po- unpopular opinion right now, or my controversial opinion, is like when all this, like, you know, the cop shooting things were like happening, right? And people were making it about race and all this kind of stuff. I kept trying to voice the opinion that like, it's not about race because there were Asian officers that were shooting black people. There were, you know, Hispanic officers. There were black officers that were shooting black people. Right. But at the, 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 what it, what it comes down to is with all the things that you see on TV and in the movies and all that kind of stuff, I, myself as a black male, when I'm down the street, there are times where like, I'll see another black male and my instinct is to be fearful and it's not, it's not based on anything, but just based on the shows that I've seen, the movies that I've seen. And it takes, it's a, it takes a real, you know, honest person to look inside yourself and be like, yeah, I, I sometimes have that feeling and I have to battle that feeling myself. And so we just have to take responsibility as artists and as, um, as a country to know that like what we put out there if someone is seeing an image over and over and over again, and then they see that image in real life, they're going to relate to it in the, in the, in the um, way that they've seen it. Not to, not to excuse what they did. There is no no. excusing that, but just understanding that much like in Norway, when someone commits a crime, they don't just get punished. They get 50% of the the blame is on them. And the government takes 50% of the blame for raising someone that would act like that in this society. Mm. So it's like as as America, as, you know, as, as human beings here, we, there's, there's a part of us that needs to take a little more responsibility on what we're delivering, what we're portraying, you know, what we're giving these, 
you know, giving people in this, in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's always individual responsibility always, but there's also the societal effect of what we see on social media or what we see on, on the screen. There is, there is a sense of wanting to pass the buck so, so that we don't have to take responsibility for it, but it really is a two way street. Yes. There are outside forces that play yeah. a part of it, but we still, it's like, okay, well, those forces are there, but what are you going to do about it? How are you going to react to this person? How are you going to interact with another person? It It, it is this two-way street. Yeah, just like how we, you know, we told people it's, it's up to you to educate yourself on certain races or certain cultures or certain things, you know, like, yeah, that's also a part of taking responsibility. Like everyone has a responsibility, but unlike any other country, I think America is unique in the factor that our entertainment industry has a huge responsibility because not only do, um, does, uh, do they influence America, but they influence the world. Yeah. And, and you being from Jamaica, what was, what was that influence of America coming to you, to your family in Jamaica? You know, when I was younger, it, it, it wasn't much, you know, like you, you heard the stories of like the streets are gold and da, 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 you know, and, and all those things. But, um, as time went on and I, and like, I would go back and visit, oh, the influence is major now. It's major. You know, like, it's like you go and you see like a mom and pop shop that, that there's a patty place or patty as, as we say, place, these little meat pastries. And, you know, it's like mother's patty is the name of the actual like local place. And the last time I, I went back, it, it was like mother's patty slash KFC. Like they combined it, you know? So no, seriously. So now it's like, and there's a lot of like local places that are combining with blah, 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 slash Dunkin' Donuts, you know? Like, so it's like, it's it's a major influence. And it's, it's the reason why I said when I grew up poor, quote unquote, because I'm only poor if I compare myself to the wastefulness of America. Hmm. Yeah, just because you have a lot doesn't mean yeah. that you're using it and doesn't mean that it's worth having. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so then in coming from Jamaica to the U.S., how has being Jamaican affected you as a person, as an actor? Has that played a part in how you've uh, how you've grown up? Yeah. I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm not as wrapped up in the racial issues and not that everyone here is, but it's like I, I, I have the luxury of having somewhat of an outside eye. Right. Um, having come come here and being like hey man like i came here with not much and i'm building and i'm you know i'm gaining and i'm growing um and you know again this might be a little bit of unpopular opinion but there's some sometimes there are individuals in this country that's complacent that expect something right like whatever happened in the past not that it's you know to be condoned or you know or that it's okay but at a certain point, it's like, you can't wait on someone to apologize. You know, just like in real life, if someone wrongs you and they're not apologizing, you don't stop your life and just wait on them to apologize and forgive you and come back. No, it's like you move on. You start to build, you start to grow, you start to educate, you start to, you know, get to the next level, regardless of if they apologize, acknowledge or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of, you know, as I think any good actor needs, you know, therapy at some point, we need to oh, yeah. talk it out. Oh, uh, we got, we got to hash it out with someone yeah. who, who knows what our brains are, you know, how they're clicking. And in that, you know, there's, 
things that we go through as children that, that are, are set, they're unchangeable, they're within us. And whether it's from our parents, whether it's from ourselves, classmates, you know, wh- whoever has influenced us, there comes that point at which, yes, acknowledge it, yes, confront it, yes, go through that and don't just ignore it, shove it away, push it away and not deal with it. There is a matter of facing it. But then there has to be, as you said, there has to be that letting go. There has to be that, okay, that happened in my life, that traumatic event, that person who hated me, whatever it was, now what? Now what do I do? Because that that has happened. That person, you can cut people out of your life. You can try to repatch that relationship, whatever it is. There has to be a next step forward. And I think a society, both as individuals, but then as a society, we have to make those individual steps forward ourselves. Yeah, you can't live in the trauma, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly, exactly. Back in late April, the Actors' Equity Association, the theatrical union to which Damien and I both belong, held its first ever national convention. Now, its purpose was to bring together delegates from across the country to share common challenges, agree on ways to move forward, and take up resolutions that would help set policy for the union. And the goal was to allow more members to have a voice in their union. Well, it seems some voices were more welcome than others. As a delegate, Damien was there, and he provides us some behind-the-scenes perspective on the proceedings. Unfortunately, it wasn't without controversy. I mean, at one point, some members even walked out. And Damien gives us the lowdown, and he he isn't afraid to name names, showing us how the politics of division that have so greatly affected the country as a whole also found their way into Equity's first national convention. Now, what exactly was it that, that happened? Because this is the very first convention that Actors' Equity has had, and it was mostly closed off except to those delegates like yourself who were there. So kind of explain what the dust-up was and, and what happened. The basicness of it was microaggressions and, um, you know, just racial insensitivity, like statements that were that were said. Um, there, there was an individual, Devon Williams, that presented a bill that was called the Black Theater Matters Bill, right? Now, it's called the Black Theater Matters Bill, not because everything in the bill was about Black theater, but it was it was um, created at the time of the, the Black Lives Matter movement. So he just, you know, put it as, as that name. But it tackled things like international artists getting, you know, more rights as, you know, as um, equity members. Um, it, it tackled unionizing drag shows and drag performers. It, it tackled unionizing cruise ship workers. Um, it, it tackled um, educating members on the history of actors' equity. There was so many things that was, you know, that was not Black-centric, right? That was just for the members in general. And it was a huge bill. And, you know, some people, you when you see someone rising, you either support or you try to tear down. And there's a lot of individuals in our council and in our leadership positions that are like, that are people that tear down and that don't support and don't think of the 51,000 members that are here, right? And so he went up and he did this bill and um, 
you know, he did it in a pink suit and tried to be as, as uh, performative as possible. And, and I say performative in the word of not being offensive, like smiling and, you know, and wearing a pink suit and trying to seem non-threatening. And then you had like members like Katrina Michaels that just spoke against it, but spoke against it, not in a, like a, dip, a diplomatic way of being like, oh, you know, I don't agree with these, like, you know, topics. And I think that this is how this bill could be better, but attacking him as an individual saying things like he's dangerous, he's manipulative. He's, you know, all these things where you're like, you're seeing a black man in 2020, 21, wearing a pink suit, trying to be as nice as possible. Where is the danger? Hmm. This is actors equity. Yeah. Like, it, it, like yeah. I mean, you know, like. I, it's like someone this giving is, a speech about something that they believe in. How is yeah. that? And it's like, I mean, when is like, how is this dangerous talking about unionizing um, drag performers, you getting like international artists that when they already got a work visa, they don't have to go through every single show trying to fill out these massive paperwork to do a job to be a part of a union that they are already a part of and paying dues like how, you know, so it's like things like 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 that. So that that happened. And, you know, um, a couple of the BIPOC members tried to bring it to people's attentions and it, it was kind of ignored. And um, an individual just, uh, I think her name was Shanae. She like, re like just kind of like broke through and just started talking like, this is, you know, this is a setting. This should be, you know, stopped. We need to stop and talk about this. And they cut her mic off and she ended up leaving the conference and was like, I'm done. So then the next day I was delivering a um, transparency bill because a large part of our union is the lack of transparency. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in union. I think our union does a good job. I'm not, I don't think they do a great job, but I think they do a good job. And I'm not here to tell you what, what good things they're doing because they're doing good, good things. But I'm here to tell you how it can be better because it's been good for a long time and it no, it no longer can be good. It needs to be great. Okay, we, we, we haven't got to excellent yet, but we can at least get to great, right? So like part of it is transparency. And so like I had this bill that I um, spoke, spoke about where basically it was recording the meetings and having the members be able to listen to the meetings on their own instead of having someone manipulate you by giving you a, you know, a the minutes of the meeting, which is basically someone's version of what the meeting is, which a lot of times, I mean, I thought the minutes were fine until I sat in on an actual council meeting. And I was like, these minutes are like night and day from what actually happens. Like what actually happens, you don't get. So um, I went to speak and there was a whole thing ab about, you know, how they tried to like push it to the end so that it wouldn't be heard, but it ended up getting heard. You know, I have favor. Um, <laughs> and um, Devon spoke on my behalf. And this time he spoke in a blue robe with like a Pokemon head or something that he put on. And one of the other um, counselors had like presented in her robe. And so he's, you know, he cracked a joke and was like, Hey, I'm being like, blah, 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 presenting in my robe, you know, whatever. And then he basically just kind of like talked about why we needed transparency because the bills that were being brought forth, um, Equity had put numbers on it, like how much it would cost to put each bill into practice. And for example, my transparency bill had a price tag of $78,000. Now, $78,000 is what it was going to cost to literally press record on a Zoom 
account that you've been paying $20,000 a year. Equity has been paying $20,000 a year for the past five years before Zoom was even popular. They had Zoom. Yeah. Pressing record and putting surveys up so that when you take when you vote on a certain policy, you have a record of who votes what, right? So that as members, we know who votes what. So when we are electing people, we know we're, we have informed opinions on who we are electing, right? Yeah. $78,000. So he made a phone call and was like, hey, I, I called and I checked and I, you know, they told me that to get someone to sit there and take the things or whatever, it'd be $45,000. I said, what if the person had, you know, like a couple of years experience under their belt? And they were like, it'd be $50,000. Okay. Then what if they were like, you know, even higher? And he's like, it'd be $57,000. Okay. But what if I wanted like an expert, you know, an expert just to literally take minutes and record the things it would be $62,000 a year. So where are you getting $78,000 from? Do you understand? Like this, this, and, and they can't tell you there's no transparency. So he, he, you know, he did this whole chart and he just kind of talked about it. And then, you know, and it was kind of like humorous and entertaining. And then it was done. We went on and then we found out like 15 minutes later that he had gotten pulled into a reprimanding session. The sergeant at, at, at arms, someone had complained or people had complained and he got pulled into a session. And so he called me and I was talking to him during the convention and I was like, hey, dude, I've been texting you. Why haven't you been talking? And he's like, I just got out of a thing and they were reprimanding me. And I was like, for, for, for what? They said I was loud and violent. And I was like, wait, the speech that you just gave were like, you were like entertaining and people were laughing and you were, you know, like in a blue robe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and then I, then I had to vote on something. So I hung up and I continued the vote. And then I called him back 10 minutes after and I was emotional. And I said, hey, I was like, are you okay? Because I'm not okay. Because like, I feel somewhat responsible, even though it's not me, but just that you, you know, took the time to speak on behalf of my, of my bill. And, and he goes, oh, I, I, I have to go. So he, he ended up going and um, uh, they were talking about a certain bill at the, at the time and he raised his hand to speak against it. And then when they called on him, he said, I'm not here to speak on the bill. I'm here to tell everyone, all the 222 people, what just happened to me. You know, and he said, I got called into a session, a sergeant at arms session and reprimanded for the speech I just gave because I was too loud and violent. And he, you know, made a plea to Kate. He's like, Kate, you know, I voted for you. I voted for you. And if you give me an opportunity now, I would vote for you now, but you have to do something. You have to say something because this is not right. It's inappropriate. It's racial discrim discrimination. And, you know, and he got loud and then they cut him off. They cut his camera off, cut his mic, his mic mm -hmm. off. Um, you know, things got kind of weird. Like no one, like, People didn't really know what, what to do. You know, Kate handed it the best way that she could. She's like, let's just take the vote on the thing that we're doing now. We, the girl that was speaking was Carolyn Fast. And she was like, I don't really feel comfortable continuing, but I guess if that's what we're doing. And then she finished her, you know, 30 second speech and then we voted. And then Kate came back and was like, so I don't really know what to do now. I don't know where to go. I'm going to leave it up to the members. So I'm going to ask you guys to vote on whether we should stop now or continue. So we took the vote. Um, I voted to, con to continue because 
Um, you know, I, I just didn't know what the thing was. We had 10 minutes left. It was only one bill that we could get, get through. We had a break after. So I thought we could get this one bill because not all the bills were going to be heard. And that was a, a whole other issue. So I was like, if I was that person, I would probably want my bill to be heard. So I, you know, voted. The votes came back and it was like 64% or 65% was in favor of continuing. So she's like, okay, I guess we're going to continue. You know, Kate, Kate just, she didn't feel confident, but she was like, you know, I guess this is the majority. So as soon as she said, okay, let's start, someone goes, hey, I'm going to, um, I'm leaving Kate in protest. And then they hung up. And then someone else went, I'm leaving also. And then Rashawn James III was like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving also. And then another person was like, I'm leaving also. So after like five or six people, Kate was like, okay, guys, I think we should stop. And then our Kim Jordan, Rebecca Kim Jordan was like, why? We voted. And, and um, Kate was like, because five or six people that I really respect and look, look up to just left, left the conference. And I think that that's for a, a reason. And I think that we should stop and address what just happened. And she's like, well, I don't. And then Rebecca Kim Jordan was like, well, I don't know why, you know, why we took a vote, a vote then. Does our vote not matter? And then you heard other, other people were like, okay, well, I'm leaving now. I'm leaving now. I'm leaving now. So like another like 20 people left. Right. Hmm. And then our, our Kim Jordan again continued going right and, and was like well do we have enough numbers like because all we need is just the, the a certain number to can to continue and for me that's when I lost it you know like I didn't leave because of how they treated Devon I didn't leave because of the vote to continue I didn't leave because of the insensitivity that people were showing and the lack of like addressing certain issues when the day before um, we stopped the entire conference, stopped the clock to talk about how cis white males were, were being targeted because white women were like, well, you know, cause I'm not a cis white male. And they kept saying, oh, you know, cause cis white male and da da da. We got a lecture on the second day. Oh, can we stop doing that and targeting cis white males? And, you know, that, and I was like, we took the time to do that. But we didn't take the time to address the the racial issues that were hap happening. Um, and so I didn't leave because of any of that. I left because of Rebecca Kim Jordan, R. Kim Jordan, and her, the, the, her just blatant lack of compassion, her lack of sensitivity, her lack of understanding. Like, she just didn't care. And so me and about 55 other people we're, we're like, well, okay, well, we'll make sure that you don't have the numbers to con to continue. Yeah. When she said that, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. you're throwing down the gauntlet. Okay. Well then let's, yeah, let's meet that. So, so like 75 people left, um, you know, we, we came, we came back, um, like a group of us of like 35 of us like gathered. Cause I was like emotional. I was crying. I just, I, I couldn't, I don't know. There was this like overwhelming responsibility that I felt like it was my fault because it was my bill, but it's not my fault. Right. Like, it's like, so we, we went back into the meeting um, because there, there were two um, black guys that were um, guest speakers after. So we sat in on the second half of their speech and then um, Kate ended the conference and she, you know, gave a, a very passionate speech, which I support her for, you know, she, she talked about how over the first two days when she was getting complaints, because she asked 
that the complaints be forwarded to her. And she's like, I went home on day two and I realized all the complaints were from white people. And she's like, I thought about addressing it, but I was like, you know, she's like, up until this meeting, I was going to address it. But I said, no, I'll just, you know, I'll see how the third day goes. And she goes, the third day, I didn't get any complaints. So I thought everything was fine. But clearly it wasn't when all this was happening. Right. And so she said, my white constituents, you need to, when you complain about this not being a safe space and that you feel threatened and that you don't feel safe, you need to differentiate what is unsafe from someone saying something that you don't agree with, someone saying something that, you know, might have called you out on your BS, you know, someone saying something that is a little bit upsetting to you. All those things are very different than not feeling safe. And you can't exactly. throw words around like that, especially when you're talking about people of color in this country. And well, so, and, you know, and, and I would I, and I would say that that's something that gets that gets bantered back and forth on on both sides that and, and you hit the nail on the head about disagreement is not violence. You know, that, yeah. that, that just because someone says something that that makes you uncomfortable or, or surprises you or confuses you or uh, upsets you, that, that that's that's not a reason that to me, that's more of a reason to, well, wait, why did you say that? Understand it, like dig deeper rather than put up walls and then start, you know, you know, start start battling everyone because how dare they they confront you on something or disagree with you and and because to me, that's when it becomes unsafe, when we start attacking, using names, using yeah. yeah, using using umbrella terms to talk about one person that might be doing it. You know, yeah. that, that, that's when it really gets me. We, you know, no matter what race you're talking about, if one umbrella term is talking about one or two people, then 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 you're you're not you're not getting it. You're not fully uh, in the conversation. To, yeah. To and passion understand. doesn't and passion doesn't equal violence. Someone being exactly. passionate is not being violent, right? And what was interesting was like throughout that conference, there were a number of white women that when they gave their speech would resort to tears, right? No one would say a word ab 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 about it. And for me, it's like a lot of those tears were not genuine tears. It can be as performative as well. Yeah, yeah which is fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, there's no judgment either way, but I'm just saying, Instead of talking about real issues and, and actually, you know, like getting the point across, this country lets tears get away with a lot of actions and um, things that like that, that normal people would not get rid of. So would not get away, away, away with. Mm -hmm. So. That, I mean, that was, you know, they, they, um, Kate made a, um, a statement that she's going to have the council be doing, um, racial sensitivity and, um, bias, you know, implicit bias training. Um, and so, you know, the BIPOC community as well as like, cause I mean, it wasn't just BIPOC people that left. It was, you know, there was a lot of white, white folks that was like, no, this is not, this is not right. And this is why I'm trying to tell people it's not, it's never an issue of black and white. It's never an issue of black and white. And the media in this country makes it that way to separate you. It's an issue of difference of ideas and opinions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Because on either side, you will have color and you will have non-color on either side. 
Right. Be- because no, no black person, no white person, no Latino person, none are one thing. They are going to express, yeah. right. They're going to express an opinion. They're going to express a belief. They're going to be mad about one thing. And then you'll meet another one that's not mad about that. There's, there's going to be this, this diversity of opinion as well as skin color. And it's that opinion. It's that belief that needs to be understood and addressed and communicated rather than just going to what's easy. It's like, oh, well, from the look of it, well, this black person must do this. This white person must do that. It, it's that, that, that's when you just, for me, that's when I hear people start to talk in those terms, that's when I kind of check out. Cause I'm like, you're obviously more about creating an issue than solving it. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this is the issue like right now, to be honest, like this is the first time I've spoken about this that I haven't like broken down into, into tears. You know, you can tell that I'm still passionate, but it took like two weeks, two to three weeks of me not talking, like talking about it to be able to talk about it in a way that I can not be emotionally overtaken. And to this day, no apologies, no acknowledgement, you know, like, Equity is like, like, it's like when people talk about the issues, no one wants to name names, call these people out. And it's not to say that these people are hundred percent bad, but it's like, if you can't be called out, how can you be held accountable? Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be fixed through one training. I hope that those trainings are consistent and continuous and in per- perpetuity until something happens, like until real change happens. Because one class does not change a person's mind. Our Kim Scott and our Kim Jordan had been brought up before about her insensitivity ways of, um, of, of, of handling certain things. She was vice president two terms. And now she's on the council. I'm like, these are the people that we have leading. And so I tell the story and I tell the listeners when 2022 comes and 2024 comes, because that's when you vote half of the council back in, in 2022 and then in 2024, it is time for some change. Get educated. 2022, bring something new <laughs> because the old stuff is like, it's, it's just not working. And the fact that we can't even like, every time equity has an, um, you know, our members bring up an issue to equity, like the last town hall that we have, we sit for 45 minutes and listen to equity tell us all the great things they're doing. And then we sit there for an hour after and try to get the things that we're trying to talk about in, right? And it's like, we don't need to know what you're doing good. We're here to fix the issues. Let's use the two hours that you gave us to fix the issues and not dilly dally for an hour. And then for an hour be like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have enough time. Like, you know, stop, like if you can't admit where you are wrong or where you need help, even as an actor. It's like the only reason why I've grown as an actor is because I, I looked at myself and was like, these are the weak areas. These are the points I need to work on and I'm going to work on it. Yeah. Our union doesn't admit anything. They don't admit, they, the only thing they admit is what they're doing right. They never admit this is where we need work and really admit it. Not like, yeah, we're, 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 we need work and diversity. It's like, no, but like, what kind of work do you actually need? You need to get more members in that are diverse. You need to get opportunities that are more diverse. You need, you know, like get specific. Where is it that you're actually lacking? Yeah. As, as someone who's been on 
a few committees and been in those meetings, yeah, I, I've certainly noticed firsthand the the lack of transparency, lack of communication. Sometimes the the difficulty with which it can be to bring up certain issues or to give a counter opinion that that maybe the the head of the committee doesn't agree with, or you know, if they bring someone from staff in that may not see it that way. So it 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 can be difficult to to get the machine that is now actors equity to move in another direction. It's, it's, it's difficult. And they, there's little, um, there's little gangs, you know, like little groups of like um, people, right. Like fair, what is it? Fair wage on stage. And there's, I mean, there's like all these like little sectors, right. That have this allegiance to each other. It was interesting because like at the convention, when I spoke on behalf of certain people's bills, they were shocked. Like, oh, I thought you didn't like me. Oh, I thought, I was like, I'm not here for you. I'm not here, you know, for me. I'm here for 51,000 people. So what's good for all of us is what's, is what's best, not what's good for you or what's good for, for me. I spoke on getting health insurance that works for our members as, as a whole. I've never had an issue getting health, health insurance. I'm booked and blessed, baby. But it's, <laughs> but it's, but it's not about me. Right. It's not just about me. And I like that's the kind of leadership that we need. 2022. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm I'm so grateful that you came on and uh, and shared your your own personal stuff, but also uh, what's going on in the broader sense of uh, of acting and actors equity, especially. So. So thank you so much, Damien. It was a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Now, I have known Damien Thompson for years, and I am so glad he could join me in this episode and share so openly about his childhood struggle with stuttering, as well as highlight the ways he is bringing about a new voice to theater and a new era of representation for artists. I also sincerely appreciate you for listening to me and Damien in our conversation today. If you know someone who you think would enjoy or benefit from an episode like this, then please share why I'll never make it with them. As I mentioned before, another important way to show your support is through donations or memberships. There are special bonus episodes available only to monthly supporters. And one of those is the final five episode, where I ask the same five final questions to every guest. Here's a little preview of Damien's bonus episode coming out on Friday. So in that ageless long career that you have, what is a bucket list role or show that you want? Iago from Othello. Now I know everyone looks at me, sees my skin tone. It's like Othello. I'm like, no, I want to be Iago. So hopefully and there's why a production. specifically Iago over Othello? Well, I just, I mean, it's a character that I relate to more. I, I think the only reason why I would play Othello is because I'm Black, right? And I don't think that the story of Othello is a Black and white thing. I think it's a thing of, it's an issue of an outsider, just like how um, Arnold Schwarzenegger looks white, looks, you know, looks like he could be from here. But when he opens his mouth, you he sounds different. He, you know, his culture is different. and 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 I think that plays more about xenophobia and the outsider and not necessarily about black and white. So, yeah, and yeah. that, or if, if it's a film, like any lead in a period drama. You want to wear the, the, the pretty clothes. Um, yes. And, and speak very I'm, I'm, high. 
And well, you well, you already he, speak British, according to some casting directors. <laughs> I, I have I haven't the foggiest idea why he said that. I'm not really sure what you're talking about, Governor. <laughs> what are we talking about, Governor? I don't sound like I'm British. <laughs> you better shut up. You better shut up. <laughs> you're you're British. <laughs> Well, as you can see, we have a lot of fun in that final five episode. To learn how you can hear the full episode and other bonus content, just go to join.whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. And music in this episode by Hyson. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.